0: It is my privilege to share with you the Word of God this morning. Before I do that, I want to just invite everyone out to tonight's Cross Point United Worship Service. It is our first ever all congregation worship service uh, that we'll be having, and it will be a wonderful time. To worship with our brothers and sisters across Cross Point Church throughout the city of Orlando and even uh, Cross Point Coast in Peachtree City is going to be joining us via satellite feed um, this evening. And it, it's going to be a time to remember, um, to remember that we're part of something much bigger. We're part of something that's bigger than this congregation, bigger than what we 're doing here, even as the Church United gathers today, we remember that we 're part of a, even a bigger church united that is given to praise and adore our great God and king so that 's going to be at five thirty p m at Cross Point Church in Lake nona and so if you uh, need more information about that, come see us at the hospitality table. Uh, secondly, um, uh, a year 's prayer in the making um, was that our family would move. And uh, on Friday, we unloaded the U-Haul, and we are in our new home. And so, amen, amen. And you know it's home when the kids uh, have this swimming pool and they stayed in it about eight hours yesterday. I mean, they were just exhausted. And we thought we adopted another kid too, because the neighbor quickly found friends with our kids, and they quickly said, will you be my BFF? Yes, I'll be your BFF, and um, so it was. Uh, it was good pool time. Um, so, with that being said, uh, open your Bibles to Daniel uh, chapter one, and we are going to get started today. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or the wine, or with the wine that he drank. So I want to catch us up a little bit. We started this series in the book of Daniel last week, and we see that Daniel is in the middle of moving himself, uh, except he didn't want to move. He was taken from Jerusalem, the city of God, and brought into Babylon, which is the city of man, essentially. It's Sin City, a very different place, and he was 14 years old at this point. And so Daniel is is brought from Jerusalem to Babylon and he sees that this is brought by the hand of God. Because we see right there in verse 2 that God gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And so we remember you've got these moments where you're scratching your head and you're saying, God, what is going on here? How are you at work in the midst of this? It it doesn't look like you're at work. It doesn't feel like you're at work. I can't see you right in the middle of this. But despite appearances of our present circumstances, God is always in control. Now, how many of us just need to sit in that for a moment? Maybe after the last week, maybe after the last month, maybe after the last year, maybe looking forward to this year. You're looking at your current situation and despite the present appearances, you you need reminded of that. But you also need a loving and gracious God to walk you through it. This is what Daniel needed. And this is what Daniel had. And this is what allowed Daniel to say... That what matters most is God. And that made Daniel resolved. Resolved. That word resolved carries with it a weight of confidence. And the confidence that the word resolves carries for Daniel is a confidence not in himself but in who his God is. And who his God is made Daniel's character line up, not with his circumstances, but with his God. God defined Daniel's character. And so the circumstances that Daniel went through never threw his character. In other words, God defined Daniel's character, not his circumstances. Right? Right? Some of us can go into different circumstances and look like a chameleon. We can be in one set of circumstances and we could put on this mask. And we could be on another set of circumstances and we could put on this mask. And depending on the situation that we're in, we could change. But what God is calling us to, like he called Daniel to, was a resolve. Because God never changes. He is calling us to put our hope and faith in the anchor of God's unmovable unmovable unmovableness that was that was an interesting word to pick right there so um his unmovableness that God doesn't move like God moves he's moving he's changing things he is working and orchestrating things according to his plan and his will but God never moves he is the same yesterday today and tomorrow so that should give us a confidence should give us a swagger, a pep in our step. And it's not according to our pride, but it's in according to what God has provided us in the gospel, which is our rock. It's the hope of redemption that's given to us already in Jesus Christ, but we will one day fully experience with him in eternity. And it made Daniel resolved. There's a man, his name's Jonathan Edwards. He was a pastor during the Great Awakening some many years ago. And Daniel, or Jonathan Edwards, wrote 70 resolutions. And he was likely around 19 years old when he wrote these 70 resolutions. I'm not going to read you all 70 of them. I'm going to read you a few of them. And you'll see these resolutions and and how they became the guiding point for Jonathan Edwards' life. Jonathan Edwards was far from a perfect person, but yet these resolutions were the resolve that anchored his life in the foundation of God as a 19-year-old man that would cause him to live a faithful life for God all of his life. He says, Resolved. This is the first one. Resolved, that I will do whatsoever I think to be most to God's glory, in my own good, profit and pleasure, in the whole of my duration. That's the whole of his life, by the way. I had to figure that one out. Without consideration of time, whether now or never, so many myriads of ages hence, Resolve to do whatever I think to be my duty and most good and advantage of mankind in general. Resolve to do this whatever difficulties I meet with, how many and how greater soever. So the first resolution of, of Jonathan Edwards' life is that he's going to live for the glory of God he is going to live for the glory of God above all else and he is going to live for the care of others. Resolved, never to lose one moment of time but improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. It's a real practical one, isn't it? How many of us just get so frustrated when we waste time? According to Jonathan Edwards' Time spent glorifying God and serving others was the most important thing. And this is what Jonathan gave his life for. And then his final resolution resolved to live with all my might while I do live. To give life my everything while I live. Jonathan Edwards and Daniel realized that they're here for a greater purpose than themselves. They realized that they're here for a greater purpose than themselves, but yet God was going to bless them in the midst of their time here on earth, that God was going to care for them that God was going to provide for them. That not only that, but God was going to fill their life with his abundant joy and the joy of the world around them. Can, Can we just acknowledge some things? Like, God has given us a good world. Now, it's a world that is in need of redemption, but the things that God has created, what God has put here... Here in Orlando, here in the world around us, there are sweet things that we are called to enjoy, but to enjoy them for the profit and pleasure of the glory of God. That we would glorify God and enjoy Him forever, and we would celebrate His grace in this earth as God has given it. So the call to live for God is a call to enjoy what God has given you. It's a call to enjoy the world around you, but to do so in light of the world's need for redemption. And Daniel was resolved for the world's need of redemption. And so Daniel had one point that he was resolved on, that he would not eat from the king's table. You notice that there's, there's three different things that Daniel could have picked a fight with, but he didn't. One thing, Daniel was taken from the University of Bible College in Jerusalem and he was brought into the University of Babylon. He didn't fight that. The reason why he was brought into the University of Babylon was to make him acceptable as a slave in the king's court as a prisoner of war he was to be spiritually reprogrammed. There was a new nationalism that Daniel would live for, and it was no longer Jerusalem, but it was King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. Daniel didn't say, no, don't put me in those classes. No, I can't be a part of that school. No, Daniel went and was educated. And it says here that His education and what he had learned and what he had grown in far exceeded anybody else in the class. Daniel could have picked a fight with his name being changed. I mean, that's a pretty big deal. It's one thing to change your own name, but if somebody else says, you're going to change your name, no way. No way. But his name, which was his identity, his name meant God is my judge, and his, the name that was given to him, Belteshazzar, was a name that was given for an idol of worship in Babylon. He was the servant of an idol according to his name. But Daniel's foundation, who his character was grounded in, was God. And that would never shake his true allegiance And so Daniel didn't contend with that. But the one thing he contends with is the king's table. Why? Why the king's table? That's a really good question. In fact, um, a lot of people will try to give you the answers, and nobody's going to be able to give you a solid answer. And I am not going to be here and give you a solid answer. But I can give you some possibilities that allow us to see where... The argument really was for Daniel to not eat from the king's table. During this time, when you ate from the king's table, it was a sign that the king was your provider. That he was the good and benevolent master. And so to eat of the king's table was to depend upon the king. And so Daniel may have chosen not to eat from the king's table because he wanted to show his dependence not upon the king for his provision, for his food, for his sustenance, for his satisfaction, but upon God. The second option was that the meat or the food was sacrificed to idols. And because it was sacrificed to idols, it was defiled. And Daniel didn't want to eat the meat of animals that were sacrificed first to idols in in acknowledgement that those idols was his provider again, but that God ultimately was his provider. And the third option was that it was against the Old Testament dietary laws the preparations were pretty significant for a Jew to eat kosher in their time period. And it was really difficult to remain undefiled in a world that was not your own. And so Daniel, refusing to eat from the king's table, was to be in line with the law of God for his life. And all of those are a testimony of Daniel's ultimate dependence, not upon King Nebuchadnezzar, but of God. And that's the thread we could see within those options. That's the thread we could see within all options, is that God had to re- or that Daniel had to rely upon God for his provision, for his food. And so he said no to that. But yet, he walked in this gray area, so to speak. There's the black and white and there's the gray area. And typically in in the world around us, not everything is black and white, but a lot of the world is gray, isn't it? And how do you live in the midst of that gray area? That's some of the challenges that we face. And I think that there's two types of people that can often emerge in, in the gray area and in the black and white. You have the people that are everything's black and white, and then you have the people that everything's gray. So, in the the people that live in the world of everything's black and white is everything is objective, objective reality. Everything, truth is truth, and it is. Truth is truth. But what happens is, when we live in the black and white, there are things that we say are defiled that God hasn't necessarily said is unclean. And so we're calling something that God has said is good, not good. Right? There, there's, uh, there can be a problem with that. Take the, the Starbucks deal that happened over Christmas time. Uh, Starbucks went with a red cup instead of a snowflake cup. And so Christianity, uh, modern evangelical fundamentalist Christianity, uh, said, that's a fight that I'm willing to pick. And the world laughed at that. And what happens when we live in the black and white is oftentimes if everything's black and white, we live with a hazmat suit on separate from the world. We just don't want to get stained by the world around us. And so we're so afraid. And so what has to happen is we build these fences, we build these walls that are impenetrable and make us ineffective for the gospel and for God's kingdom. So I'm saying the scripture gives us clear boundaries for what to do and what to not do. Clear boundaries. Here is the black and white. But there are things that the Scripture doesn't speak on where we rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, to bring in our lives the way that God has called us to walk in the area that's the muddy middle. That's the difficult part, isn't it? Now, there's some people that live everywhere in the gray. Truth is all subjective. You say this is wrong, they say, according to who? You say, God's word says this. They say, well, I interpret it a different way. They say, you say that, you say, there's, there's so many issues like, like this in our culture that are here in this day and time where we want truth to be a subjective reality without the objectivity of God's word speaking into it. And here's why, because we don't like the authority of God. People that live always consistently in the gray area are not submitting their life to the authority of God. And I would say even people that live in the black and white aren't submitting their life to the authority of God because we want life that's within our control. And if everything's black and white, then at least I know that it's in my control. Or if everything's in the gray area, then at least I know it's my control. But if we live reliant upon God, resolved on the fixed points in life, in the way that we are called to live, given to us by the word of God, then we live humbly right in the middle between them both. It's a very difficult reality. And thank God that we have the power of the Holy Spirit to live in that area. And here's the solution. Here's how we walk in the midst of it. There's three R's: receive, reject, redeem. Receive, reject, redeem. Some people would say in the black and white, don't use an Apple computer because that Apple is the spawn of Satan. That was the first fruit God said, don't, don't eat of the tree of the garden of er, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, it wasn't an apple, but anyway, and I might. Not disagree that Apple might have some real problems, but there's some things that we can receive from this world, like our iPhone or our Samsung Galaxy or whatever it is that you have. There are some things that we could receive and say, this is is something that God's given us is good, that we can utilize, and it's okay to receive those things. There are certain things that we reject because those things aren't redeemable. I remember having an, uh, a, a pastoral care time with a, a couple that argued that it would be okay for them to watch pornography as long as they were together. No, that is, that is something that you reject outright. Pornography in general is irredeemable. There's nothing that's good about it. There's nothing that can be redeemed in it. And so we reject certain things that the world around us tries to put upon us Because those things will never bring glory to God. And then there's the things that we seek to redeem. There's the things that we seek to make new. There are things that we seek to see transformed to be used for the glory of God. Music, for example. Historically, in the church, the church has stood against music but yet the church has created some of the most amazing music in history, art. Think about the paintings that we know of of Michelangelo and the beautiful paintings that he's created. And then we oftentimes refuse to work in that area of the arts or entertainment because we think that all of those things are bad. And so we walk around with a hazmat suit on thinking that these things cannot impact our lives or they cannot bring redemption. But as a Christian, we are called to seek the redemption of the world around us. Paul reminds the church of Corinth of this truth. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So everybody here fits in one of those categories, right? Everybody does. What did God do for us? He redeemed us, He made us new. He made us holy and pure in the sight of our God and King. And he says in verse 11, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Paul says in Galatians 5.1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of of slavery. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm so you're not dragged back into the yoke of slavery. Because if we think that everything fits in the category of being received, we will be dragged back in to the yoke of slavery. But God, through Jesus Christ, has set us free from sin so that we can live free from sin, not to live freely in our sin. And this is what many of us have Christianity backwards. Because we we think that it doesn't matter how we live. We think that it doesn't matter in the dark corners of our life what really goes on there. Because we say, God's grace is sufficient to cover all my offenses. And, And that's a good theological point. It really is. It's a powerful theological point for you to know. But that point should be a point that's rooted deep inside your character that brings freedom, not slavery. Freedom, not slavery. He died so that you would be free. Daniel was resolved to live according to that kind of freedom. And he didn't care about the consequences that would happen as a result. Daniel could have been killed. He could have been killed for that decision. Holiness is risky. A life of holiness in the world around us is risky. This world talks about how much they love people of principle. But when people of principle live out those principles, they chew them up and spit them out, right? Maybe you've experienced that in some way. But yet, when we rely upon God, we say what the world says around us doesn't matter. If the world receives me or rejects me, it doesn't matter because my job is to live as an instrument of redemption. So, regardless of the risk, I'm going to live right in the middle of where God has called me to live. We're risking holiness. We are putting our lives on the line, we're putting our approval on the line, we're putting our jobs on the line. Are you living the same way on Monday as you live on Sunday? Let me ask you that question. Are you living the same way on Monday as you do on Sunday? Tim Chester writes, holiness is as much about what we do on Monday morning in the factory floor as it's about what you do on Sunday morning in church. Holiness is as much about the kind of neighbor you are as it is about the kind kind of church member you are. It is as much about who you are when you are holding the steering wheel as who you are when you're holding Bible. In other words, who God is should penetrate and permeate every aspect of our lives. Not just here on Sunday, but the real test of our faith comes on Monday. And Daniel's faith was tested. God gave Daniel favor with the eunuch. God gave Daniel favor with the eunuch. But notice it wasn't like a genie in the bottle. God, give me three wishes and I want favor with the eunuch. Or it's not like some kind of Jedi Jedi wave over the eunuch. You will let me eat only vegetables. I will let you eat only vegetables. No, it was he had to risk his life before the eunuch and even to ask for that. And the eunuch had to risk his life before the king. He knew it was a costly decision. But it was a decision that God in advance prepared the way to take place. And he was tested. Daniel was wise about it. He said, watch me. Give us 10 days. See what this 10 days is going to do. See that we are not going to look worse than anybody else in the class. So that way when we go before the king, they're going to see us and they're going to say, there's not a difference between Daniel and the other students. Test us to see if this is true. And God even prepared the way for that to happen. They tested them for 10 days. And after 10 days, they saw that they were looking better than everyone else around them. And they said, you can eat vegetables. This is where God provided the favor with the eunuchs and even King Nebuchadnezzar. God provided Daniel favor. To to know that God is going before you as you risk holiness, it's risky, but it's not that risky, right? It, It gives you confidence to know that even if my life is taken, God has everything in his control. Even if my life is taken from me, Okay, many of us aren't really worried about our lives being taken from us. But even if somebody doesn't like you, if you do something, even if you might lose a relationship, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, a boss, a co-worker, even if you might offend some of your close family and friends for standing for what is right, God is going to use that and grant you favor in a lost In broken world. Daniel made a decision later on, remember the story of Daniel in the lion's den, not to worship the false gods of his age. And that decision that Daniel made was a decision that Daniel made when he was 14 years old. It wasn't a decision that Daniel had to make later on. I mean, we all know that we're going to be pressed for hard decisions later on. But today we're making decisions that are going to determine the decisions we make for tomorrow. If we don't make the decisions of resolve today, friends, listen. If we don't make those decisions of resolve to walk in holiness today, we'll never make them for tomorrow. We'll never make them for tomorrow. The lion's den story started right here with a 14-year-old boy coming before the chief eunuch saying, I'm not going to eat from the king's table because I do not want to defile myself. I want to remain holy and pure before God. I would be willing to bet that everybody in the room has some plans to walk in holiness for their lives. We want to see that. We want to see that tomorrow. We want to. I, I, I've told you this before. I want to grow old with my wife and in her arms. And I want my kids to always love us. And, and to, to, to listen to mommy and daddy, even when they're 35 years old. And I tell my daughter she can't date anybody again. So, sorry. That's, that's another sermon for her. I've been preaching it, though. I've been preaching it. She's seven. I think she gets it. We'll find out. Okay. But... If we're not living out the resolve of God on our lives today, there's no way we'll live it out tomorrow. And this is where Elizabeth Elliot, wonderful author, someone who's been through some difficult times, she says, does it make sense to pray for guidance about the future if we're not obeying in the thing that lies before us today? How many momentous events in scripture depended upon one's person's seemingly small act of obedience? Rest assured, do what God tells you to do now and depend on it and you will be shown what to do next. Do what God tells you to do right now, depend on it, and he will show you what to do next. We're so worried about tomorrow and we're not depending upon God today. If we depend upon God today and we do what he says today, you can be assured that God will show you what to do tomorrow. He's not going to leave you high and dry. He's not going to leave you hanging. If you make that decision to say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things today, God will never leave you nor forsake you. He will show you the right way to go each day in every day. Christianity in America is increasingly becoming more and more marginalized. It's, I think, happened for the last 20 years. What we're seeing in Christianity today is that there's a huge block of people that are growing in our nation, and it's called the nuns, meaning that they have no religion, uh, religious affiliation. And the reason why that that no religious affiliation is growing is because people are leaving Christianity in a mass exodus. They're saying, the faith that I thought I have, I no longer have. And part of the reason I believe that's the case, because there's been an easy believism of Christianity that God is telling us to, to reject outright, because we're called to walk in holiness, Listen, I want to to tell you that God's grace is so amazing and that the forgiveness uh, that Jesus Christ has offered you sets you free from all your sins. And that is true and every bit of that is true. And if you believe that to be true, then you'll see Jesus Christ setting you free of your sins. It's not perfection. Daniel wasn't perfect. Friends, I'm not perfect. I come up here and I wrestle with just this morning with my Bible open, I'm saying, God, I am struggling, I need your help. Would you help me walk in holiness in these areas of my life? But will you depend upon God or will you take matters in your own hands? Will you rest and rely upon the grace of God that will conform you into the image of Jesus Christ? Well, you walk in his grace, and if you walk in his grace, he'll align your character to the holiness of God. There is the risk of holiness, and there's the reward of holiness. There's the risk of holiness, and there's the reward of holiness. Anybody else a high-risk, high-reward type person in here? Anybody, like, make these investments, Randall? You, you are a high-risk, high-reward guy. I, I, I saw you jump off some of, those, some of those waterfalls before on Facebook. So, yes, um, that was exhilarating. That's fun. Those are good times. Maybe it's an investment. It, it is the biggest risk that you'll ever take to follow Jesus Christ because this world outright doesn't want anything to do with him but it was the it is the biggest reward that you'll ever experience because at the end of the day you get god you get god you didn't deserve god but you get god daniel's resolve was because daniel's relationship daniel was resolved because daniel had a relationship with the most high king He meant everything to Daniel. And to defile his God was to defile his life. It was to be a lesser person. And Daniel could not do it. And so Daniel was anchored at the bedrock of hope in who God was and what God would do for him. Notice that Daniel was taken care of. Verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of eunuchs brought them before King Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Daniel's letting us in on something right there, that last verse. He survived the kings of his time because he was faithful to the mighty king. He survived the changing world of his time because he knew that it was God who was maneuvering and moving everything according to his will. Can can we be faithful to a faithful God and watch how God gives us perseverance? Watch how God takes, takes care of us. Watch how when we make these difficult decisions, God comes through in amazing ways. And it's really these, these minuscule, minimal decisions that we find that once we make, it's where God builds us for the big decisions that happen later on, and they're not so difficult because we know exactly the Lord's will for our life in the moment, we don't have to second-guess it. Daniel knew that God wanted to use him in an amazing way to see his redemption take place in the people of Babylon, and God used Daniel towards that end. The reward of holiness is that we are rewarded with God himself, but the reward of holiness is that we seek the redemption of others. Listen, Babylon was was a, a very bad place. It was a dark place. They took the the monuments of God from Jerusalem and they brought them into Babylon, And they brought them before the idols in order to masquerade or, per, per, or, or, or have a parade of whose God is better. And Daniel showed by his faithfulness that God is stronger and higher and better. The world around us is in need of redemption because the world around us is under the judgment of the mighty God and King. That's what you see from Nebuchadnezzar. You see that Nebuchadnezzar made these moves, but God orchestrated these moves according to his plan and purpose, and God does so with us today. And as we rely upon that, we see that this life is not about our comfort or convenience, but it's about God's glory and his name being proclaimed. Many of us want to sign up for a life of comfort and convenience, but friends, if we're living in the redeemable area that God has called us to, we will forsake our comfort and convenience and we will find contentment in the glory of God through the power of His Holy Spirit. It was after World War II in Nazi Germany where the war criminals were at trial. And there was a chaplain, his name was Henry Gehricke, that was before, that was given the mission to be the spiritual advisor, so to speak, to these 21 war criminals. In America, in Britain, in Poland, in Europe, in all these places, they, they wanted these men to be burned in the fiery pits of hell. There is is no getting around that. But Henry Garricky spent 10 months with them. There was media outlets that spent 10 months with these men. There was prison guards that spent 10 months with these men. And when they went on trial, the judge spoke the conviction over each of them. And most of them received a death sentence. And there was a news correspondent that was there when these men were spoken their sentence. He said, it is a terrible thing to see a man condemned to death even when you're certain that he has been responsible for the death of millions. It's a terrible thing to see a man condemned to death. Writing of this chaplain, Gericke, the author says, the Nuremberg chaplains were not judging the members of their flocks, nor were they forgiving their crimes against humanity. They were trying to lead those Nazis who were willing to follow toward a deeper insight into what they had done. They were attempting to give Hitler's henchmen a new standing as human beings before their impending. Executions. The same judgment of death that is pronounced upon Nazi Germany's worst of the worst, killing millions, enslaving thousands, is a condemnation towards death. And you know what? can be made available and has been made available to them? Innocence. Are they guilty. But Jesus Christ is innocent. Jesus Christ is the one that simultaneously shows us the depths of our sins. And he shows us the holiness of God. And the only way to bridge the gap between our sin and God's holiness is the holiness of Jesus. The hope of Nazi Germany was in Jesus. It could only be in Jesus. It wasn't in Jesus, but it was brought by Jesus before them, where four of these 21 men confessed their hope and belief in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. Do do you hear that? Is there any worse enemy of God than that? And some of us, that might rub us the wrong way. Is that even possible? I'm not as bad as them and I'm condemned to the same penalty without Jesus? Yes. But with Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. You can be set free. The God who gave Nebuchadnezzar, or the, the, the Israelites, into Nebuchadnezzar's hands. The God who gave favor to Daniel in Babylon and in the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. The God who gave wisdom and insight and understanding to Daniel also gave them something else. In John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God gives. The only way to walk in holiness is to trust in the one that was holy for you. And the one that leads you into everlasting life by his holiness. Because otherwise we are all convicts condemned to death. And this is why we share the love and hope of the gospel with those who are far from God, the worst of the worst, because in light of the holiness of God, we are in need of that same redemption. Stand with me as we worship. As we take communion today, I want us to remember that While we're called to holiness, to walk in holiness, we're called to walk in repentance. And repentance says that I can't do it, but Jesus Christ has done it. And because Jesus Christ has done it, he can work it in me. And so today, coming to the table is not saying that you have it all together. It's saying that you trust in the one that is putting it all together for you right now and that your desire is to walk in him and to say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. And it starts with Jesus. I invite you to Jesus Christ as your forgiver, leader, and Lord. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to come to this communion table and realize that your body was broken and your blood was shed. And that God, like Daniel, we need your favor. Unless you come through, we're through. God, we need the power of your Holy Spirit to enable us to to live this life of holiness, driven from your word, Driven from the truth of who you are, to establish those fixed points in our lives that allow us to live a life that's grounded and rooted in you. So, Jesus, right now, would you fill up in our hearts what is lacking? And then, would you give us more of yourself that is fuel for us to connect Sunday to Monday? to live every life, every day of our lives for your kingdom and glory. And it's in Jesus' name, the church says, amen.